pledge allegiance to the band. It may perhaps discourage you, not as of your kidney, or infected with this vicious virus, that you'll be ordered to pay a fine of 75 pounds. I'll pay now, if you don't Just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder. These guys would have it. Welcome to Movies That Rock, a rock and roll journey through cinema. I'm your host, Josh Fitzgerald, and welcoming back to the co-host chair is Mike Drew. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Not bad. Thank you for uh, having me back. My pleasure. It's always always great to catch up and um, talk shop and talk movies and music. Absolutely. Well, I mean, music is uh, what introduced us to each other. So yes, absolutely. Your podcast is great for that. <laughs> oh, okay. well, well, thank you. Yes, it, it's... um. It's one of the things that's been really fun is, is getting such a variety of people on here and getting to know so many different people. It's been a blast. It's well, I listened it to your, I listened to your, uh, as we were talking before this and I had mentioned that I had spent the last day painting my son's bedroom and I, today I listened to your staying alive episode <laughs> while I was doing it. So <laughs> excellent. That one was it, very fun. And we're doing something completely different today. This is a 180. This is, you know, this is probably a movie that I would guess that a lot of people have never seen before. Uh, the movie is called live forever and it's the rise and fall of Britpop. Um, and this was, a movie that you introduced me to and i'm glad you did because i'm going to be completely honest right off the bat brit pop is a huge blind spot for me well you had said that and and brit pop um was definitely my kind of coming of age uh -hmm. at the time when i was you know i'm late teens and early 20s you're going out with your friends and things like that and it was really that the soundtrack of my life at that point yeah and uh so all those bands and the songs and, and the story is important to me in, in my history, if I have a history, I guess. But um, <laughs> as, as I'm sure we'll get into it, I don't think it's a great documentary, but it's mm-hmm. definitely nostalgic for me. And it's mm-hmm. definitely, um, I think if you're unsure about, or you, like you said, if you have a blind spot of that genre or of that time, I think it does a pretty good job of kind of encapsulating yeah. what it was about. So, yeah, I ended up knowing more of the songs than I thought I would. Right. Um, and, and you know, recognizing more of the artists that I'd never really realized were considered, quote unquote, Britpop. But then as I think about it, I was like, oh, yeah, I could see that, you know, like bands like like Radiohead, um, Massive Attack. Um, you know, I, I didn't even realize that those were kind of the same. And Portishead is another one. Yeah. And um, it's, I mean, with Massive Attack and, and Portishead, um, and you can add bands like Morshiba and stuff like that to mm-hmm. that as well. Um, I, so like, you know, how, if you know, I, I'm also a heavy metal guy, right. Mm-hmm. Or hard rock guy. And you've got those subgenres of that, you know, every kind of quote unquote genre starts to get splintered a bit. And so massive attack and Portishead and Morshiba and stuff, mm-hmm. they end up being trip hop, right. Which is kind True. of like, you know, Oh, right. it's got a, a slightly a dancey beat and a, and a female singer over top of it trip up. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, but yeah, I mean, at the time um, it was on, you know, in the pages of the NME or select or whatever, and, you know, blur would be on the next page facing it. So to us, it was kind of all That's the same true. thing. And it's, you know, same generation from Britain, you know, kind of the second wave British invasion 
Absolutely. is really what it was, you know, for, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I guess a little background on, on this movie. I, this was interesting. So, so you, you sent me the link for this movie on Vimeo and, and, and um, this is actually the, a little, little insight into the, the coming lineup of episodes. This, this is actually the second consecutive movie that, uh, um, or episode that I'll have watched the movie on Vimeo. The other one was the, uh, the history of the Ramones that it's going to be dropping a week before this one, this one does. Well, thank goodness for their lax copyright uh, enforcement. Yeah. yeah. Oh, big time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and um, and I was as I was watching it, I was I was wondering why um, it really had not had gotten any distribution. Why it was not, you know, available yeah, so, anywhere. Really. I mean, the first time I saw it, I rented it on DVD from our local movie store at the time. Um, and I think there was some extras on it and stuff, but I had heard about it coming out. And obviously this is before Netflix and stuff. The internet was around obviously, but mm -hmm. it was, uh, cause I think it's 2004, um, 2003, yeah. 2003. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. So mm -hmm. I had rented, I knew it was coming and, uh, the video store that I used to go to at that point was great. Cause they would get kind of the indie stuff or mm -hmm. in addition to the big stuff. Um, and I walked in one day and it was there and I remember I rented, I was so excited and I got <laughs> it and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was kind of, it was interesting because when it was released, I mean, if Britpop really didn't end till 98, that kind of era, I mean, that's really only five, six years afterwards. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I think if they did it again now, you know, looking back 25, 26 years after it, mm -hmm. I'd be curious to know if the take was a little different. So. Yeah, that, that's true. Because there's so much happened between, I mean, just in that little five year, four or five year window. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess it come to find out, this was actually like a BBC production. So it was, I'm assuming that it was probably like just aired on television. In it the UK. might. Yeah, it might have. Um, so, so the BBC have a lot of they have like the, the two main channels, BBC One and BBC Two. Um, then they've had to like the news channel and stuff. But at different times, they've had different channels. They've had a film channel or they've had an arts channel. And uh, mm. the way that the, the there are other channels there that are commercial channels, but they also sometimes get government funding to make feature films or documentaries. Um, and now with like, you know, things online, um, there's a great uh, like the so we don't have access to it here, unfortunately, but mm. uh, the BBC iPlayer on their website or there's an app. Um, there are documentaries that they make like music ones and things that never get aired on TV, but they're mm. phenomenal. And they're on um, like uh, so friend of the Rock Solid show, um, a, a rival podcast, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ricky Wark, who's the singer of the almighty and now solo and stuff. He does a great one about like Celtic, the history of Celtic wow, music no and kidding. stuff. And no, and it's on the, it's on iPlayer and he goes to America and he in Ireland and whatever. And it's I'm amazing. going to be looking for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you might have to do use nefarious means to, to, uh, <laughs> That's acquire all right. a copy. Yeah. <laughs> whatever it takes. <laughs> but I'd be surprised if it, I don't think it ever got aired. I think it was just released on iPlayer. Huh. Almost yeah. like, so it's almost like a like a streaming service in a way. It is. Yeah, okay. it's the BB, it's their it's their streaming service for the UK. Um okay. and, and it's funny because I was actually having this uh conversation with uh Kyle Hildreth, a uh, fellow mm -hmm. name that tuner, um <laughs> the other day, and I kind of explained to him that like the BBC, the way it works is in 
in England and in Scotland and stuff, you pay a, what they call a TV license. And so you pay, I don't know, I think it's 150 pounds a year or something. And then that money goes to fund the BBC. Now that doesn't make it like okay. government propaganda or anything, but it, right. because it's like a, a separate entity, but the, the funding from it is from the public hmm. and uh, they don't show commercials or anything like that. And then they use it to produce their own content. And, uh, and interesting. And, and so like we have PBS, which is, yeah, it's, it's similar, but different, of, but it's but, similar. Yeah. yeah. PBS like will I'm, I'm sure PBS does get grant. I know that they get grants. You know, you'll be watching something and it says, you know, uh, in, sponsored by viewers sponsored like by, you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or or uh, something in Boston. Right. Like, yeah. You yeah. know, oh, I think the one that I went on, I was growing up was Omaha Mutual. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Right. Or you'll um, be sitting through a concert and then you'll have to get through like a half hour of um, pledging. That's right. And uh, whereas the Beeb's not like that, because you automatically, if you have a TV in your house, you're required to pay it. Okay. And um, yeah, so the money comes and that's how they, they pay for their programming. And, and I have to be honest, I mean, it's quality stuff. And I'm not just saying that as an Anglophile, like I mm -hmm. honestly, like, I don't think, I mean, you can watch something you have no interest in, but you can't deny how well made it is. Interesting. Wow. Um, you know, like all those planet earths with, um, uh, what's the guy's name? I'm trying to think. Oh, uh, David Attenborough. David Attenborough. Yeah. Like they're all funded <laughs> by the BBC. Right. And yeah. it's amazing. It's amazing stuff. So even if it's not your, not your jam, whatever the topic is, uh -huh. if it's a documentary or, but they make, you know, quality comedies and dramas and stuff. And then mm -hmm. they also make money by selling them around the world and stuff to, to different, uh, uh you know, broadcasters for their, for their mm -hmm. rights. Yeah, but yeah, not all um, of them. So you're probably missing out on a lot of good stuff. You oh, know? there's, there's so much. I mean, oh. if you do have access, like when I go over to visit family and stuff and I'll go on to iPlayer and stuff like there's, I was just like, why can't we, you know, they'll do histories of this or like, um, they did one about primal scream, the band primal scream. Oh, wow. And them recording their record in Memphis. And I'm like, I would love, I would pay to see this here, but oh, yeah. Yeah. they just don't, you know, whatever it's, whether it's music rights and different territories or something, I don't know, right. but um, yeah, they, they do amazing stuff. So the fact that this was partly funded uh, or created by the BBC doesn't surprise me. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm. So I, I know you kind of talked about kind of speaking about how you mentioned when you go over to visit family, I know you talked about this at length on uh, Patrick Dupuis podcast, um, but I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about where, um, because I know you lived in, in England for a while and, and I'm, and I don't know for sure, but I would, I would presume that kind of your history with, with Britpop is kind of interconnected with your time there. Is that, is that accurate to say that or, or mm. did it, or did it maybe inform maybe being a fan of Britpop inform your decision to want to go there? So I went as a kid, which mm -hmm. was, was late eighties. Um, and I never got a, a chance to go again until 98. So that was right oh, wow. kind of at okay. the end of Rip Pop. Um, and then after that, I'd been dozens of times and lived yeah. there and et cetera. Um, yeah, but I I was always a fan. Like um, when I growing up, like all my favorite bands for the most part were always British. I don't know why. Um, yeah. But, you know, you're the I'm Beatles. The and the, yeah, the Beatles and the Who and, yeah. you know, and whoever else. Um, and so and when and i'll be honest like i said it was kind of that coming of age time for me so like 93 94 you start you're old enough like i'm i'm finishing high school i'm starting to go to university you're starting to go to clubs you're starting to meet girls you're starting to um all these things and 
I quickly realized going to clubs that like, I don't like dance music very much. Right. And um, there weren't, you know, there weren't really rock clubs or if you went, it was an older crowd and it mm. maybe you didn't feel like, you know, didn't um, fit in. It didn't fit in. And all of a sudden it was kind of perfect storm on this side of the Atlantic for me was, is that Britpop starts to pick. So, mm. you know, and you can dance to, you know, bo uh, boys and girls and you can oh, dance yeah. to, um, you know, some of the trip hop stuff and whatever. Mm -hmm. And so perfect storm worked out. And, you know, I started working in a record store like soon afterwards. And, it, you know, I was starting to write for different magazines and all that. Oh, and yeah. Britpop was great because it was it was the it was the it was one of the common threads between all our friends. Right. My group of friends okay. were you know, we could all agree on, well, we'll put on Oasis, right? Yeah. If I had said, hey, let's all put on typo negative. <laughs> two <laughs> people might have gone, yeah, let's do that. No, right. like, right? <laughs> but it was something we all could agree on in that as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, so when I went to England, I'll be honest with you, I spent a fortune on CDs because oh, <laughs> at I the bet. time. I would have too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was first. So I, I went in 98 and uh god bless my cousin and my and my aunt because my cousin took me down to um like soho and oh, wow. in london and oxford circus and i'm going into all the big stores i'm going into the little stores and you know like <laughs> I i'm spending Just spending a, a fortune yeah. yeah not thinking how do i get this stuff home <laughs> i don't have the room <laughs> um but all i know is that like hey if i buy that single with one b-side that i don't have um if I buy it at home, it's going to be $12 and yeah, I'm seeing it here true. for a pound. And I'm just like, uh, that's so, true. You know, do you still have a lot of those CDs? I have them all. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. I have a trunk in my basement and I have two and I don't, I think you get them. Um, the Ikea Billy bookshelves. Oh yeah. I, yep. I have about, I go I to the know. Ikea by you all the time. There you go. <laughs> or I did, I, I should say. Yeah. I have about 3000 CDs and I would wow. say, at least two or 300. I, that's I'm kind of guessing, but I would think are purchases that I made while in the UK. <laughs> that's insane. That's yeah. incredible. How did, how did you eventually get them back? I have to ask. <laughs> so what I ended up doing was I would take them out of the cases and oh. because I worked at HMV here, we would often get HMV, like, that's a blast from the past. There you go. <laughs> um, well, I got my HMV discount on Oxford circus, which was awesome. Oh. And, and I will say this, I also went to the HMB head, at head office at the time, which was, you know, record stores were huge at that mm -hmm. point. Um, I went as a, an employee over here and I went over there and I went and they showed me a tour. It was so cool. That's incredible. It, yeah. And it, here's the best part. My wife always laughs when I say this at the end, um, I'm waiting at the elevator to go downstairs, I guess, like to leave and the elevator opens and like two gentlemen walk, you know, and one looks at me and smiles and I'm like, that guy looks familiar. So I get in the elevator and I, I you know, go down or whatever. And then I realized it was Gary Barlow from Take That. Get out. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, so wow. now I, so my wife, I'm like, I saw Gary Barlow because she loved Take That growing up as uh -huh. a, a kid. She, she was, you know, big fan. That's amazing. And yeah. So, but no, but it was great because I went to the big, I went to the big HMV on Oxford Circus in London. And I, again, I spent a fortune and I think the way it worked there was you got 30% off. So my cousin who was with me, nice. who lives over there, she's like, do you mind if I, I'm like, fill your boots, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, cause she was getting 30% off. So, um, yeah, it was great, but yeah, I would buy, 
everything. I mean, because, and then I, actually what ended up happening was at HMV here, I ended up becoming the import buyer. And oh, okay. so I would get all the trade magazines, but I get all the catalogs and stuff that would come. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, but I had to look at it through a different lens. I couldn't go, I want that because I want it. I, right. It would be what's actually going to sell. And, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, and, and then when we would import things, and I don't know if this was the same to America, but when mm-hmm. we would import things from Europe or Australia or whatever, um, not from America, which is strangely enough, they wouldn't mm-hmm. come sealed because oh. uh, we learned that sometimes um, people with dubious intentions would often uh, hide things in there right? oh wow okay yeah and so we had to seal everything so that was another thing like we go hmm. well if i buy 100 cds then somebody's gonna have to spend a couple hours sealing them all and that's like, just interesting to me because couldn't they still put like whatever paraphernalia like inside the actual like jewel case i think they wanted the actual to be able to just go you know i don't okay. know I, maybe i don't huh. know but yeah, it was, that was one, cause I always thought like, why are they not? So, cause in the UK, a lot of them are, it's not all of them. It's weird. Mm. Like some are and some are, um, or they'll have a sticker that keeps it shut or something like that. Mm. But, um, but there's lots that are sealed. And I was like, oh, why is there not? And then some, I, I asked him one of our importers once and he's like, yeah, we, we can't because of this. And I was like, oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's, that, that's wild. Yeah. <laughs> so that's 98. Crazy. So going back to your question, sorry, big mm. roundabout. That's that. okay. Um, 98 yeah i mean it was kind of the end of it right so i went and i'm sure we'll get into it but for me that's kind of the that's the beginning of the post brit pop because for me at that point that's when bands like i mean i bought coldplay parachutes in england and i brought it back here and i was playing yellow for people and they're like what is this and i'm like i remember the first time i heard that song yeah and you know bands like travis and stereophonics Mm -hmm. and stuff and because they were kind of coming out at the end of it right like yeah 97 98 in that time frame so yeah that's kind of like when the alt alternative thing started yeah. yeah. So Britpop is, I mean, those bands, a lot of those bands are still going. Some of them are mm-hmm. fading off or whatever, but then those bands like the Coldplay's and stuff start coming out. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Which is pretty, I would say like the golden age of Britpop would maybe be like, I mean, I know the Stone Roses debut came out in 89. So I'd say maybe between like 89 to maybe 96. Is yeah. That- I, yeah. I mean, I think the death nail and we can talk about this, you know, I'm sure as we go on, but I definitely think, uh, 95, 96 is the peak. That's the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the stone roses is a little early in the sense that mm-hmm. like, it was definitely the start of it, but right. it, it was more of like the foundation being laid as opposed to like, this is the beginning of the movement. I think people start to kind of realize it was a movement. I see. Yeah. 93, 94, definitely by the time, you know, the first Oasis comes out mm-hmm. part life by blur, um, which isn't kind of 94 ish. Right. That's I know that when, th- Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say that's when people realized that something was happening, but I think you're right. I think, you know, um, the Manchester, the Madchester scene, mm-hmm. uh, stere- uh, the, the stone roses mm-hmm. and stuff. I definitely think that's kind of the, the groundwork, the, the roots are being laid at that point. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause the movie spends a pretty decent amount of time on the stone roses and their brief existence, you know, and kind of the influence that they had absolutely quickly overthrown by by you know american grunge <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just kind of funny i love i have to just mention that there's a lot of um a lot <laughs> i don't want to say anti-american but there's a lot of um 
it was the, the, America was not portrayed in the in the nicest light in this movie throughout, which was kind of funny to me. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like I said earlier, like a lot of my favorite bands were British. I didn't do that intentionally. I never thought, you know, I can't like this yeah. band because they're Canadian or this band because they're American or I prefer this band because they're British. Mm -hmm. But it just happened to be that way for me. If I look right. at the grand scheme of my collection or my life, the soundtrack to my life, I sit yeah. there and I go, yeah, a lot of those bands are are British. Right. Um, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've like fallen in love with a band or an artist or an album and come to find out, oh, another British band. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But I also think, but I, I mean, I'll say this. That being said, the first time that I went to the UK on my own or like on my own, I, mm -hmm. I flew, you know, in 98 when I went over on my own mm -hmm. um, before I knew my wife or anything like that. Um, I was so disappointed when I got there because I thought I'm going to get there. I'm going to turn on the radio. I'm going to and I'm going to hear all the bands that I love. Nope. It was like dance music and pop music. Britney Spears. And I know I had Britney Spears <laughs> and Christina Aguilera. And yep. I was just like, um, wait, what? <laughs> like, right. Why am I not hearing? Did voices? I actually go somewhere? <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, so it was it was different. Like, but again, because and they have commercial radio, but you have BBC Radio One. Yeah. Um, which was the, the top 40 and basically the tastemaker of the UK, right? And has I been see. since the 60s. Right. Um, and at that point when I went, it was definitely, you know, pop. And I'm and pop was big before that. It's not like pop disappeared. Right. I mean, um, but, but it pop was just, just metamorphosizes all the time. Yeah. yeah. And you know, and and I and, and we'll get to the end of the, the film, but right. you know, uh Louise from Sleeper who has a great book, which name is escaping me right now. And mm -hmm. I actually have it. I should send it to you. It's brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, she makes the great point that the music industry's default setting is pop music. Yeah. So at the end of Britpop, uh, not really the end, but like when they're right. playing, kind of claiming it to be the end, 97, 98, you know, their default setting is pop. Right. right. And that's right. when you get, you know, Spice Girls and Robbie Williams and stuff, who yeah. I love. But that's. Oh, I do, story. too. That that song was amazing in the movie. That he's I know. <laughs> and and she's right. Like she she says, like, you know, like because Sleeper and Robbie were recording in the same studio. And Robbie said, yeah. come on over and listen to my new song, or, you know, my new album. But I have to be honest. So in 98, this and it's funny, I can tell you this is that 98 when I went over, my cousin said, have you heard the Robbie Williams album? Mm -hmm. And this was before Angels was released as a single. And I said, no. I said, uh, Robbie Williams from Take That? And she said, yeah. And I said, like, does it sound like Take That? And she's like, no. She's like, do you want to hear it? I went, absolutely. And she played it for me. It's called Life Through a Lens. Mm -hmm. It's brilliant. And it's it's yeah. kind of like, obviously, he absorbed all that Britpop from the two, three years before it. Right. Um, but he's still the guy from Take That, right? So there's still a pop element as well. But that record, that album, Life Through Lens, is fantastic. I love it to this day. Yeah, um, he has a couple like real, real banging albums. That, mm -hmm. that yeah, are, Sing When You're really... Winning, I love as well. Um, yeah, you know, and and there are good. There, yeah. Um, I remember I bought the second record, which name is escaping me. The one with Millennium. Millennium. Yes, I can see the album cover in my yeah, head. I can't think I can't, of the name of it. Can't think of the album's name because that's I a remember, great song too. That's a and I remember hearing that going, oh, this record's going to be great. And I don't yeah. really like that album. That much, but I think it was a, such a shift from from Life Through a Lens that I was like, mm, I'm not sure. Right. Um, but then the, I would it be the next record, which is Sing When You're Winning? I That's a fantastic. Is that, that the one does, where he's a soccer player? On yes. the cover? There's OK. Yeah. 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 Kids. He does the kids with uh, Kylie and. Oh, right. Right. Yep. Yeah. Great record. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, I mean, that was 
again, the default setting always goes back to pop, right? Right. And um, and 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 I think Brit pop, right? It wasn't Brit rock because Brit rock is kind of a different genre, and that's where you know bands like My Favorite, The Wild Hearts, kind of fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of ran parallel with with Brit pop. Um, right. But I, I have a know. confession, and you might be mad at me for saying this. Uh oh. I had never heard of Sleeper before this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so Sleeper, yeah. I know. I, mean, and I, I was so bad. I'm like, I should know who this band is. And I, I've seen Train Spotting. I know I've heard that song before. I just never. Yeah, they do. The, never crossed the, my path. Yeah. Yeah, they do the Atomic cover in, um, yeah. in, in Train Spotting. Some of the albums that came out during Britpop, I absolutely adore. Um, but I'll be honest with you. I don't adore any Blur album. Yeah. I, there are Blur songs I love. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say modern life is rubbish is probably the one I would tell people to start with. If they ask me, Hey, mm-hmm. where should I start with blur? But I don't think, I know that could be sacrilege and people say <laughs> park life, but I'm like, you are no longer qualified to do yeah, this. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> start with the greatest hits because yeah. honestly, the singles are just so amazing. Right. Um, that there are some album tracks, but you know, Damon's, can be I'm, I'm getting off on a tangent but damon can be quite um artsy at, he at can. times you and, know i know i know more gorillas songs than blur songs and i don't know yeah. if that's just because of my generation but i was I gonna mean, say i mean yeah. that would make sense because of our kind of our difference in age that i'm right. you know i'm kind of the blur in europe you know with the gorillas for sure right right and i i mean i like them both but i would say but that again comes into my where my blind spot is on brit brit pop i really only know maybe like a half dozen blur songs right and maybe about this and i know maybe like a half dozen oasis songs and they're always the ones that they would play on 102.1 the edge yeah yeah <laughs> Toronto the, the, zone. absolutely yeah and i mean and at that time uh cfny 102.1 mm-hmm. um w- was a big champion of of Britpop. And they would have uh, dance nights at clubs where they would simulcast from those clubs. Okay. And you guarantee that there would be a big Britpop uh, set, right? Where they would yeah. play Oasis and Elastica and Blur and, mm-hmm. you know, all these Supergrass and all these bands. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Supergrass. I was just talking to Steve O'Dockerson about Supergrass last night. There you go. <laughs> Perfect timing. I hadn't listened to them in years. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was going to ask you at the end of this, but um, mm-hmm. but and, and I'll put I'll plant the seed now. But I was going to okay. ask you for what maybe you would consider your three favorite. Brit, I know I know you said it's a blind spot, but what mm-hmm. your three favorite like kind of Brit pop Brit pop albums may be. Oh boy! Um, uh, but like, and I I didn't want to dump five on your ten on you. I thought I'd just go with, we'll go with three. <laughs> I don't know that um, I would have listened to that many. <laughs> well, no, and and exactly, and that's what I was going to say because. Yeah. There's so many great records um, right. and there's so many great songs, but I think sometimes, you know, we look back with nostalgia through rose colored glasses sometimes. And I, I'll, like I said, like I, there's no blur yeah. album. I love there are yeah. Oasis albums. I love there are Supergrass right. albums. I love, um, but there a lot of other, there's no sleeper album. I love, um, yeah. I would say the greatest hits probably will do 99% of the people just fine. I'm going to throw it back to you and instead of maybe albums maybe what are you like your top three favorite artists like Britpop artists in general um oasis is number one mm-hmm. i don't have to think about it uh i would say so i'm currently wearing this you can't see it because it's audio but i'm currently <laughs> wearing a manic street preacher shirt mm, i yes. hesitate to call the manics Britpop because mm. 
their first three records are not they are right rock they're heavy when the first record came out um nikki wire from the bassist in the band said this is going to be bigger than appetite for destruction <laughs> it should have been it's yeah. a, it's a classic it's, debut record yeah. um it's but almost like punk in a way it's totally it's yeah and i this is that's why i love that genre of Brit mm-hmm. rock as well because like bands like the manics and the wild hearts and stuff they all had that punk and but rock and you know yeah. but power pop and all of it mashing all the things i love in the one right um but by their fourth album when when richie edwards their guitar player had disappeared um they they definitely f- fell into the brit pop and and the and the shirt i'm wearing is from their fourth ro- album called everything must go um and i would say that's probably one of the definitive brit pop mm. albums um so I, I would maybe say the Manics, but I would yeah, say count them. <laughs> yeah, but I and I would probably say my and this is a bit of a, a out of left field for most people. But um, there's a trip hop and they were kind of poppy, but more trip hoppy um, band just the right time called Dubstar, which is I've heard that name before. Yeah. yeah. So they're a, a north northern English band, um, just female vocals. Sarah uh, Blackwood is. Um, my wife would probably tell you that uh, I had a major crush on her and I, I did. <laughs> <laughs> There's no question. Um, but I love her voice and they have their record. Goodbye is one of my favorite records of all time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I think like the I hate to say it, but like that blur best of you can't yeah, go wrong with that count. either. Absolutely. You know, yeah. there's so many. It's um, yeah. Supergrass. I the first three Supergrass records are fantastic. Yeah. Um, life on other planets is so so good yeah i mean yeah. it just there's so many i but I, oasis is number one there's no mm-hmm. quite it's there's oasis and then there's a huge drop and then there's other bands and i, I love them all but yeah oasis right. is it's it, that's the top for you yeah 100 percent. yeah i i could like i said i I, won't, I can't really pick oasis because i only know like a half dozen songs if that I haven't, I've never listened to a complete album by them um i would maybe also go to i mean if you're going to include the trip hop in that same thing, I would probably go with either with like a massive attack. Cause I, I think mezzanine is just an amazing album. Um, maybe also too, I would pick like, um, uh, I guess you could say Radiohead if they I mean, they included multiple songs by them in this movie. So I guess. I think if Radiohead had stayed in the Ben's era mm-hmm. and I know that their fans like our uh, area, I, I think I know that their fans love them because they didn't. Right. But for me, I lost them after that. Like I remember yeah. when, and I'll talk about it now. Like I mentioned, I worked at HMV and I was working at HMV when a lot of those albums that they talk about at the end of the film mm-hmm. were coming out the okay computer, the mm-hmm. be here now by Oasis. Um, and I kind of, I was like, this is all different. Like, <laughs> this is kind of. I love that montage in and- the movie about when they were interviewing the people about when Be Here Now came out and they were interviewing Oasis fans. It's like a montage of interviews of them saying, you know, oh, Be Here Now, this is amazing. This is the best album they ever done. Then you get like the one random person who's like, I don't like it. It's all like no. boring rock music. Like, it's dad rock. And this. <laughs> it's easy. Yeah, he calls it dad rock. Yeah. Which is yeah. Great. And he's kind of right. I mean, it's. Uh-huh. I remember at the time, so I'll, I'll tell you what happened. We went to a friend's, a friend of ours, mom was getting remarried and we mm. went, it was a bit of a road trip to get to the wedding and we all went and be here now had just came out. And I remember this is how old I am. I taped it for the car so we could listen to it. 
And I remember listening and we're all like, you know, kind of, yeah, it's cool. And I, but it, it was always that little voice in the back of my head going, this kind of sucks. And, you know, I hate to be the person who is like, it's not like it used to be. So it's not very good anymore. And so I want right. to give everything a chance. But I think right. there was just that little voice going, isn't that great? It wasn't for you. Yeah. No. And now you listen to interviews with Liam and Noel and they'll tell you like cocaine basically was like more common than water right. at the time. And, you know, um, this, the, the, the theory is, is that when you're on cocaine, that, you know, you don't, you want treble and you want highs and stuff. Mm -hmm. The one thing I didn't tell you about the records, like when, when I worked at HMV, when it came out, I was there on release day. I'll never forget it. And we used to have a CD changer where we'd put five CDs in, we'd hit shuffle and we were all like, there was a bunch of I have of one of those still yeah, that I use I, all the I time. I think I have one in the basement. <laughs> and uh, we were so excited. That thing is the loudest record I've ever heard. Like really? the mastering job on that thing. And I don't know if it was just like the Canadian pressing. I doubt it. Uh, it was ridiculously loud. Like it was wow. noticeably loud compared huh. to every other record we were playing at the time. Wow. Yeah. Now, was was there like this again? Pardon my ignorance. Is there like a hit from Be Here Now that I would maybe know that would that got significant radio play? Because I'm looking at the none of these track lists. None of the tracks on this track list are ringing a bell. Know. You know what? Welcome to the streaming era, man. I'm, I, <laughs> I'm bringing yeah. it up right now. Um, obviously, do you know what I mean? Was the first single. Okay. Um, which was, uh, I remember getting the single before it, the album came out and uh, it had like a cover of Heroes and stuff. Oh, okay. um, All Around the World was the ending, I believe. Yeah, it was the mm -hmm. ending track. So um, I think That's it was not the All Around the World I'm thinking of. It's no, 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 no. I think it was supposed to be like the, the champagne supernova of the record. It, it didn't okay. really turn out that way yeah um don't go away was another single yeah i think i i'll be honest i think do you know what i mean okay or do you know what i mean i think sorry that was a cockney and not a, <laughs> that was good mister yeah I, was I can't i can't do a uh uh mancunian accent sorry um <laughs> it which call it, it it was the first it was the big single but that was the hype right and uh yeah just uh I couldn't yeah. I wanted to like it but right. the songs were so bloated and yeah it was loud and kind of brash and I just I I, I couldn't I I and and now in, in hindsight right like just like this this film mm -hmm. I remember you know this okay computer came out um blur self-titled came out and I was like these are all really different and and I remember mm -hmm. the nail in the coffin and they talks about this in the film Jarvis Cocker from Pulp which is a band we haven't brought up yet. Oh yeah, that they're they're great too. Yeah, uh, but when this is hardcore came out, mm -hmm. I remember going, I think we're done. Like I mm -hmm. remember thinking, I think this is over now. Like wow. that was kind of the final. You know, we're yeah. we're in a, a different space and, now. And Jarvis Cocker didn't really seem to have very fond things to say about that album either. No, and it's. I think I've listened to it twice in my life and that yeah. was when, when it came out. So, right. And also interestingly, going back to be here now for a minute in the movie, it, it was interesting how um, I, hopefully I won't mix them up, but it seemed like Noel was like hated the album, but Liam yeah. is kind of okay with it. Like, he's yeah, like, the I interviews... think he did a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a rock, it's a rock record. And uh -huh. now when I listen to it and I don't put it on, on purpose very often, but you know, right. I have some of the tracks in my, in my library and whatever. Mm -hmm. I, 
it's it, it, it's when drugs took over Britpop, right? right? And and Jarvis talks about that with mm-hmm. you know this is hardcore, um, and and I I love big guitars and I love Liam when he's on point and stuff, but it's just too much for me and. So, but Liam is like, he's, he is the brash one in the band and he's the one that, you know, he always uses the term, have it, like I'm, I'm going to have it. <laughs> and he does yeah. like on that record, like he stands out, like he's so loud on that record and Noel's guitar is so loud. Um, and, and like, and like Noel says, there's no bass on the record at all. It's yeah. kind of like, uh, and justice for all by Metallica. Like, and that's, <laughs> it's all no treble. bass, yeah. all treble. And, uh, they did that because Newstead was new in the band and they were, kind of playing a joke mm. on it but um yeah i can't it's just not a record i look back on with yeah. terrible fondness unfortunately no but yeah i the, every band has it you know mm. and it's yeah it's, it's interesting true. how it all kind of happened like in the same year like the 97 98 is like all the bands started putting out weird albums like that yeah that, that, that were not fan favorites i guess drugs <laughs> stay away from them kids yep. yeah exactly <laughs> So this is this is really shifting gears for a minute. Um, I kind of want to talk about this was uh, the one like maybe I don't know if I want to say revelatory, but the one really. All right, let me set the stage a little bit. Most of this movie, I would say, is kind of primarily focused on the Blur versus Oasis thing, like Mm -hmm. rivalry and, you know, that whole drama. But interestingly, a lot of it, it seems that, and I don't know, I, I'm asking you because I don't know if you can confirm this or deny this because of your, your time in, in England. It seems like that there's a really heavy emphasis as far as music taste and music appreciation goes. There seems to be a really heavy emphasis placed on class. Yeah, I knew and, that was going. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and on like societal, like socioeconomic um, yeah. background and things like that, that very much informs, um, you know, thinking beyond like just your quality and of music, but that seems to be a very big informant of, of what people listen to. I, you know, long before Britpop, right. Yeah. You think of the punk, the punk movement, which mm-hmm. was in Britain. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was like the lower class, you know, mm-hmm. uh, lower class, sorry, that's the terrible term. Working the, class, the working say. class. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Kind of rebelling. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in the in the mid to late 70s and then you get you know thatcher and and you were and it's funny you mentioned this because um being a little bit older i kind of remember being aware during the 80s and stuff but if you think about it you had thatcherism in the in britain right a conservative government you had reagan is like reaganism is that a term i just made it Reaganomics, Uh, right yeah Yeah. reaganomics um and then into bush right like Mm -hmm. into the late 80s and early 90s um, so you had, you, you know, your Republican conservative government down there. We had it in Canada as well. Uh, we had Brian Mulroney, who was a, a Tory as well, conservative leader in the 80s. And, you know, classes maybe were more distinct at that point because it was the the haves and the have nots. And um, definitely, you know, in, in the film and definitely I'll say in real life in England was uh, the working class band was Oasis and the middle and the middle and upper class band was definitely blur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They yeah. made that very clear too. And it's just, it's something that I, I was interesting to me because it's not really I'll, in the past, probably more than today. That seems it's just, everything's a little bit more streamlined today, but um, 
it's just, it's it's a kind of a mentality that seems a lot more overt in England than it does in on this side of the pond. Um, I mean, there's certainly our share of classism in the United States and Canada for sure, but it doesn't seem like it's quite as um, people aren't as vocal about it here. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I think the class system in the UK. Um, which is definitely still there. Let, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's everywhere um, yeah. in, in our respective countries as well. Um, well, we know it is. That right. being said, when cultural phenomena, especially, phenomenons, especially um, with art, music, and, and books and stuff, I don't want to say it was marketed that way. I think it probably was. Um, but there was definitely... T- tendencies right so um you're more likely to um you know it, it's like noel talks about in the film when he's interviewed he says like damon from blur has never been on a building site right and so he's ego and and so i can relate if i've done manual labor all my life i can relate to somebody who's also done it who who writes songs that I can relate to that are about things like that more than somebody who went to art school probably didn't have to work, you know, mom and dad had enough money to, to take care of everything. Right. Um, yeah. And I think music, and, and like I mentioned with punk, I, I mean, it was, that was a reaction to, you know, the mind shutting down and uh, people losing their jobs and looking for an outlet. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's why punk is that DIY where it's like right. I can I'll learn two chords and then I will learn a third and then maybe down the road I'll learn four. But we're just going to like Liam says, we're just going to have it. We're just going to do it. So. Right. Yeah. And just and that's and therein lies the conflict between those two bands. I mean, that's I, I feel like that's really what it boils down to, because it's it, it, I mean, when all said and done, because they were really they were competing at the same exact time, yeah. um, putting out albums really the exact same time and um i mean yeah, the stones I mean, the stones mm. and the beatles kind of had the same thing right and and it mm-hmm. wasn't so much a class thing in the sense that like one band was working class and the other was middle or upper mm-hmm. but you know talking to family and and stuff who were around at that point um you know it, the 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 nice young lads from liverpool were a lot easier to be accepted than yeah. these scruffy you know, uh, guys in, in the Rolling Stones with their like shaggy haircuts <laughs> and stuff. Like I, I remember my grandmother telling Grinded me this their because, hips. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and, yeah. you know, and Mick doing whatever he's doing. And I think there was a, I think it even stems back to that. Right. Like, yeah. you know, sure. so I don't think, unfortunately it's not new. Um, I'm not sure it's as much so now. I think there is for sure, because there's mm. definitely like, um, there's big genres over there like grime, right? Which is like yeah. a form of hip hop, like a subgenre mm-hmm. of hip hop, which definitely relates to uh, related initially kind of to the, to the urban, you know, pop, right. population and stuff, but it's become so big over there and stuff right. as well. Yeah, I think so. There's always, there is a, there definitely is a, a class thing. I'm sure that's still happening there. I don't think it's, it's as, it, it's not as easily noticed now. Maybe to the outsider. Mm. Maybe if you're there, it is. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right about this because I mean, it's the same thing in like the 80s when you had, you know, a lot of like the, you know, factory records bands for competing against like Duran Duran, you know, yes. like there was the same, same exact thing, you know, and um, 
Absolutely. And, and, and I just got the impression that that was kind of like really the, the, the root of what their conflict was, because it was just funny that seeing it whenever um, Oasis was brought up to Damon, he got like really like really snippy about it. <laughs> well, I think probably vice by that versa. Point, yeah. Yeah. I think it's also kind of like the Rolling Stones in the sense that when they go on stage and somebody goes, are you going to play Jumping Jeff Flash? Like, it's like, yeah. oh God, again. Right. Yeah. Like, so people turning to Damon going, tell us about the, the Oasis conflict. And he's like, right. oh, do I have to? <laughs> like, right. Um, but that being said, like, I remember, so that's, so mm -hmm. there's that story and they talk about it where um, Oasis and Blur both had their, their rival singles coming out on the same day. <laughs> um, and it was country house for Oasis or sorry, country house for blur and yeah. roll with it for Oasis. And I remember, so I was, and, and we were delayed, right? Cause at the time yeah. uh, I was working at, at the record store, we would get those British papers and stuff, but there was always be delayed, right? Like we mm -hmm. would hurt. And I, but I remember seeing on TV, like that this was coming and uh, the records, the actual albums are the great escape. And what's the story, Morning Glory? Yeah. And Blur ended up winning the single release for Country House. They sold more and ended up being number one, whereas Oasis Roll With It ends up being number two. But when it came to the albums, there was no comparison. Fantastic. Like, yeah. you know, Oasis blew them away uh, mm -hmm. worldwide as well, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that there are way more used copies of What's the Story, Morning Glory <laughs> and secondhand shops in the yeah. States than there are of The Great Escape. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. This just popped into my head um, as, as we were mentioning about, um, about the whole class structure thing. I remember very, very clearly when Oasis was kind of at their prime in the mid nineties, I was in middle school at the time. And um, I know I, snickered, <laughs> I knew sorry. you were going to react, <laughs> react like that. Um, but I remember very clearly because I remember like kids in school wearing Oasis shirts and whatnot. Um, people were really kind of, pardon the expression, people were really kind of up their ass about them being, oh, they're, they're just, Oasis are just secondhand Beatles. I heard this all the time. Like they're, they're, just, they're just trying to copy the Beatles or trying to knock off the Beatles. Like that was, that was a constant just mindset that I, and yeah. that's, that's part of the reason why I, I never really listened to them. Cause I sort of was, that's, I heard that so much. I'm like, Oh, why, then why wouldn't I just listen to the Beatles? Well, you know, and, and, and you do, know what do I you think, do you think that that connects maybe to that mindset of like the working class group? I don't know. I'm just theorizing. Maybe. I mean, I think, you know, I, I'll tell you, I, I interviewed, don't laugh. I interviewed Scott Strap from Creed years ago. Oh, okay. And it was, I think it was on their first album. And real quick, is he, is he as douchey as he comes off? It was a phoner. I, okay. I can't confirm or deny that. <laughs> um, but I remember I said to him, I said to him, you know, look, you get the, the, the Pearl Jam, like especially that first record. I say, you get the Pearl yeah. Jam reference. And I don't want to ask you, you know, I, I'm trying to come at this in a different way. And he stopped me and he said, look, he said, if someone says, you kind of look like Brad Pitt, are you going to be upset about that? <laughs> and I'm like, no. <laughs> and he's like, that's like, if somebody says we sound that's like Pearl Jam, he's great like, point. great. <laughs> like, and that, and that makes total sense. Right. Yep, if yep. you've asked Noel, right. And mm -hmm. um, if, and I've heard him say on interviews, you know, like when the, especially at that point, right. The Beatles things was, were coming up a lot. Yeah. Uh, the, the references and the, the comparisons, he said, like, I love the Beatles. So yeah. if, if I write something and it sounds like the Beatles, okay. That's a huge <laughs> like, compliment. Yeah. yeah. Like, great. Yep. You know, yep. I've kind of done it right at that point. So 
Yeah, but people were kind of using it derogatorily to kind yeah, of hint oh that yeah, there was that as well and, for sure. Because that uh, that's really what I remember. There was a lot of like a lot of vitriol thrown at them for that reason. You know, well, like, I I mean, yeah. you know, I remember as well at the time, and I can't remember the exact quote, but I think Noel said something, or maybe it was even taken out of context, like we're better than the Beatles. Oh, okay. and then that yes, blue, yes. and he could have been sarcastic, right? Like that's right. one of the joys. And he was probably also knocking off when when John Lennon was like, "We're bigger than Jesus," you know. It's 100%. probably cut from the same cloth. But you, when you read that, just like, and this is the issue with social media. When you read, and, and yeah. this was before social media, but reading it in print, if you read that, the context, the the tone, mm-hmm. it's not there. Right. So all of a sudden, if I just read, "We're bigger than the Beatles," and I don't have the 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 context for why it was said. Yeah. It's going to sound like it. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're a terrible human being and you know, we hate you (laughs) because nobody's Yeah. Yeah. Super pretentious for sure. (laughs) So, but I, I mean, uh, if you really watch interviews and listen to them with, if you can understand them. um, (laughs) Yeah. That's, uh, that's true. The copy you sent me, it was subtitled in Italian, in in Italian. (laughs) (laughs) I did my best. I, I got most of it. We used to, well, I don't know if you remember this. We used to, we were talking about CFNY. They used to play a game in the morning that was called, what the hell is Noel Gallagher saying? I don't remember that. No. (laughs) So they would play a clip and then somebody would call in and go, is he talking about, you know, touring? They're like, no, that's amazing. (laughs) Did they give up prizes? I think they did. Yeah. Oh my God. That's awesome. Yeah. It was great. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess just like the, the legend of, um, the, the negative legend that of Oasis is kind of imprinted because like if I was young, you know, I didn't, you know, listen to a lot of me. Like I said, I, I, I remember hearing Champagne Supernova on the radio a lot and I, I liked the song. You know, I thought it was good, but I just wasn't, you know, I had a friend who in... gave me a copy of Morning Glory. I, I'd heard definitely maybe. And I was like, yeah, it's OK. I, I, it wasn't really my thing at that point. Mm-hmm. And I remember so I was at university and I had a kind of a long commute to get to the school and mm-hmm. i remember putting it on i'm like oh, i'm going to check it out and i i fell in love within the first 90 seconds i was just yeah. like this is and, and and i'm gonna say at that point they were the greatest band in the world um i think that record was the perfect time stamp for then mm-hmm. and uh i mean it's easily my favorite pop record it's one of my favorite records ever anyway but mm-hmm. um what's the story morning glory is i i i can't I don't have enough words or enough time to describe a, my love for it, but B how great it is to me and how, and I always say to me, because, you know, it's like when somebody tells you a TV show, like right now. Right. And I think we talked about this last time people will, or maybe we talked about it off air. Um, We talk about like people will recommend things or what have you. And you're like, yeah, yeah. And you add it to your list. And then you try it and you go, Hmm just because it's not for you. But right. at that point in my life where I was, what I was doing, it was the perfect soundtrack. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Like it. And, you know, it talks about in the film where, um, you know, some might say and and the swing of, you know, we talked about class, but definitely the, the shift in politics in, in Great Britain yeah, at the time. Big. Um, and some might say, like, I, I, I can't remember which talking head said it, but like it was the perfect song at the perfect time and it yeah. all just worked out. Mm-hmm. And I agree wholeheartedly. I, I, I don't have anything else to add to it. I can't because it's just right. words. And I don't know. I'm hoping my kind of my passion is coming across here because for yeah, me, that record, so. you know, I don't want to say it changed my life, but it was 
I can tell you it was so what many you needed at the time. Absolutely. And I can yeah. tell you so many happy things that, you know, I was doing when I heard this song was on or that or whatever. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. 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 The, I, that, of course, that's the one I know the most songs for. I know Wonderwall, uh, Cast No Shadow, Samping Tuber, and Oba. Those are the ones I know. Don't I'm going to have to go back. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. I'm going to have to give it a good, like, top yeah. to bottom listen. I, I listen in the first track. So hello is, is great, but it mm -hmm. doesn't, I, it doesn't, I don't think it's the greatest opener. Like I love the song. That's the one criticism I have. I just don't feel like it's the best opening song, mm. but that you have to remember too, at the time, Noel was so prolific that when every time a new single came out, there'd be two or three B sides that were as good, if not better than the songs that are on the album. Wow. So there's a definitive definitive remastering that they brought it was like 20th anniversary of the record and it has all those b-sides at the uh at like tacked on to the end mm. and those songs like round our way and the master plan and you just listen to them and you go oh my god like how did this not make the record yeah. well it it wasn't written for the record so it was written afterwards because the way that the chart system worked was you were allowed so much time you could add so much new material to uh, single and it would still mm. qualify as a single but if you added too much then it would be considered an ep and then it wouldn't actually oh interesting okay um and i can't remember what the what the numbers were but they would be two or three bonus tracks on every one and all the singles from that record had these amazing amazing b-sides that were like the next record is going to be phenomenal and then be here now came out and you're just like uh oh <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I, I, I can it just a little bit of a personal anecdote. I remember the very first time I ever heard Champagne Supernova, the first time I heard an Oasis song. Right. It was in, like I said, it was in middle school. Um, it was in gym class. We wow. were playing like I think we were playing like their volleyball or dodgeball and they always had the radio on. And a lot of it was kind of, you know, kind of cookie, cookie cutter, milk toast rock. And then that song came on. Of course, it's, you know, it's like the seven minute long psychedelic epic. And it was so, it sounded so different from anything else that they played. And I'm like, what is this song? Yeah. This is, and I was kind of, and you know, you, I, I have to pay attention to what I'm doing, but I was also at the same time kind of, you know, really curious what this song was because it sounded so weird and it was very pretty. It's a really nice song. It, and, it, um, singles were so like important then, right? Radio yeah. play was so important then. So a, a track like that, when it got airplay, like when mm -hmm. CFNY played it or, you know, even yeah. more mainstream rock stations, it was a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. Because it hadn't, there were very few songs where since like the seventies, where, like you said, a seven minute, eight minute epic yeah. is played from start to finish. And I remember when that was a single, I'm like, really? They're going to release that as a single? And then <laughs> it, it was just, you know, it was a uh, monster hit. Yeah. yeah. And, and we, and we didn't even mention Wonderwall. <laughs> well, that all goes without saying like, that's yeah. gotta be, that's gotta be up there with like yesterday as one of probably the most covered songs ever. Cause I remember like all through college, there was not a, I used to go to open mic nights in college, all, like weekly. And there was not a single one that I went to where somebody didn't play Wonderwall. No, I, <laughs> I hear you. I don't, I, it's funny. I love that song. I still, it's one, yeah. there's so many songs that you don't need to hear anymore. Cause like you've just, you've heard your quota has been met and you yeah. don't need to hear them anymore. And Wonderwall should be like that for me. Cause I have yeah. heard it thousands and thousands of times. I don't need <laughs> to hear somebody cover it at an, at an open mic night or anything yeah. like that. 
But when it comes on, if I'm listening to the album or if it comes onto the radio, I'll never turn it. I'll never. I love it to this day. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, though, my dad always hated it. And he's like, that guy can't sing. (laughs) I will say I will say the first time I heard it, I kind of was a little put off by his voice as well. It it grew on me. It clicked with me when I kind of understood it more. But um, but I, I get that. It's yeah. a little, it's, it's a little brash at first, but whereas my mom loved it. So oh, <laughs> wow. like my dad okay. hated it, my mom loved it. That's so funny. I have a feeling that I don't know if my parents even know that song, but I'm sure it'd be the opposite. My mom would hate it. My dad would probably love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, going back a, a, just a little bit to what you had brought up um, the politics. There's a lot of that in this movie and um, there's my favorite moment like so a lot of it it's like you said it was the end of the thatcher era and it transitions into this brand new administration um and uh, the tony blair administration who i actually completely forgot about he came on screen and i was like oh that guy and i couldn't remember his name until they said it um and uh that that little story about getting invited to go to the to see him yeah and uh yeah <laughs> and so, only one of the- <laughs> yeah so noel decides that so all the Britpop, uh, you know, members that were basically helping labor, um, which mm-hmm. is kind of like the Democrats um, or the Liberal Party in Canada, mm-hmm. uh, they were like they were endorsing Tony Blair um, because after Margaret Thatcher, there was a, a gentleman named John Major and he was kind of mm-hmm. the, that was the end of the uh, the, the Tory reign over there. And, you know, and, and they, they have like with by-elections kind of like you guys have, mm-hmm. you know, different elections at different times as well. And there was one leading up to the major one where new labor did really well. And people were like, Oh, and then when the big one came and, and Tony Blair ends up winning, he has like a thank you party at number 10 Downey street. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. And he invites them all. But as they talk about you real, like a lot of them realized Damon realized like, this isn't going to go well. Yeah. And Noel though, Noel's like, yeah, I'll go see the house. <laughs> like, like, I think he kind of knows like it's, it, I know it's a photo op, but I'm going right. to go anyway. And, and Louise Winner, I looked it up from sleep. Ah, yes. She, she says, you know, rightly so like she claims that that's kind of the end. Um, and, and Noel, I think she uses the word neutered at that, but he, Noel becomes neutered, um, <laughs> because he had dressed up and he had a new haircut and his mm-hmm. wife had a new dress, but yeah, I mean, it was, it, it, Tony Blair, right. Was, you know, he's like, Oh, he plays guitar and he was in a rock band. I remember growing up and watching Bill Clinton on Arsenio hall. Oh yeah. Right? The saxophone. Playing the saxophone. Yep. And I was like, I remember watching that going, uh, this guy's going to be the next president. And, you know, only a few years later, you've got, you know, Tony Blair in the yeah. UK and, and doing the same thing. And it's like, this guy's a rocker. And he's like, he's one of us. You know, they, they basically say they realized pretty quickly after that, it was like, oh, maybe he's not. Yeah. Maybe he's just a politician as well. Yeah. Um, and they're just a poll, you know, they're just, mm. that's, they're still politicians. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely. That was a huge, at the time, it all it was just the perfect storm. Everything right. kind of fit into place at, at that point. Um, you know, during the Brit Awards, uh, I think Noel and they show the clip in the movie, like mm-hmm. Noel mates, a you know, there's, there's a, there's, what does he say? I think there's six uh, people mm-hmm. in England um, showing are that are showing kids a, a, a change is possible. And he, he mentions all the band members 
And then he he mentions Tony Blair. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 And it's like and and that's I'm sure being there and and at that age and stuff, that's what it seemed. Mm -hmm. But it was pretty quick after that. It's like, yeah, you know, Damon makes a great point. Damon's like, I was hoping they were going to say, we want your input on this. But it was like. He realized that, like, yeah, that's not what I'm here. And it must have been such a breath of fresh air after the, you know, the previous administration that. Oh, yeah. I mean, initially, listen, my, you know, my wife who is English and and she she tells me that, like, at the time it was like, this is they're they're for they're going to represent us. Right. Like, yeah. um, You know, we're we're the youth. And just like when Clinton was like, it's like, oh, he's Mm -hmm. a he's a hip, cool guy. And then, you know, and I'm sure labor did good things and i'm sure Clint, i'm i don't want to get into this like i don't need somebody to start <laughs> yeah. tweeting me he did not like i'm not saying i'm sure they all do good yeah. things at some point yeah. um but that being said like i think at the time it was just like i mean in in the in the uk or sorry in the usa you guys had like the, there was the whole mtv i don't know if you know much about this but like there was the mtv rock rock the vote rock the vote oh yeah yeah yep. which you know and a lot of people give a lot of credit to that to get young mm-hmm. people out to vote and then that's what one of the things madonna that with the in. you know with the american flag wrapped around absolutely <laughs> you know um yep. and there was so many bands and artists that were doing these little psas right yeah yeah, you know they hadn't done it before, and they haven't done it since. So it's like, well, why did that they probably should start doing it right? now, though. They could probably, wow, now that's a whole other conversation. But that's um, a whole other conversation. Right. Yeah, but it, the politics—it just worked. You know, again, perfect storm, right. everything, and that cultural phenomenon of like, you know, film as well, right? Because they kept showing uh, yep. clips for train spotting and stuff, and just yeah, there's a lot of train spotting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, you had the soundtrack, you had. Yeah. You know, you've got this Irvine Welsh book that has been turned into a movie and she makes a mm-hmm. and Louise makes a great I think it was Louise who makes a great point of like, this is about smackheads in Glasgow, right? Yes. Like this isn't a cheery story. That's right. a great film. It's one of my favorites oh, ever. And again, would it, yeah. would it? Yeah. Would it be one of my favorites if I wasn't there at that time? I don't know. Right. But, you know, it's so dark and stuff. Mm-hmm. But everything just worked out you had all those magazines and you had like just everything was mm-hmm. perfect at that point right yeah it, did it you, didn't last, did you but... see the sequel to train spotting i did not and i was wondering yeah, if you... you don't need to okay <laughs> it's like staying alive <laughs> uh yeah so you stopped me from seeing that and i'm gonna stop you from seeing this okay there, perfect. there are there, I'll, I'll be honest with you mm-hmm. so um irvine welsh is a great writer i don't know if you've read any of his books um train spotting is a great book i actually prefer the film um but he did a sequel in the early 2000s called porno and it was basically the sequel to train spotting um there had been other books where like characters would kind of come in and out and stuff but porno was supposed to be the sequel and i read the book and i actually quite liked it but as i read it i was like this is a script like this is Mm. gonna be and i thought you know what this actually won't be a bad sequel but when this f- sequel came out, I think three or four years ago at this point, um, it had very little to do with that book, which is a shame because I think it would have been a much better story. And I would oh, wow. definitely recommend that book. <clears throat> if people want to know what the sequel to Trainspotting should have been, read that that's, book. That's the one. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there was so much. It, they, it, it's funny because in this movie, they, they covered so much ground. It's a pretty short movie. It's only like an hour and a quarter long, but they covered yeah. a lot of ground in it. And um, and like the fashion stuff, like and the cover, like all the enemy stuff was kind of fun to watch. Um, 
Well, we talked about that in the in the uh, still crazy podcast. When, yeah. And I remember saying like the the press over there were the tastemakers. Yeah. And people were willing to. I mean, I I remember that buying you know, the enemy or select or something. And if they were raving about a band, even if you hadn't heard a note, like you were kind of like, I'm willing to take a shot. I'm willing to pay my 15 bucks for the CD or whatever. Cause they're saying it's good. And 99% of the time it actually worked out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- there was a whole aesthetic around Britpop as well. Right. Not just like the right. union Jack, it was, you know, Liam looking like he does dressing with his parka and, you know, <laughs> and those haircuts yeah. And, you know, Damon wearing like the track suits and stuff like that. It was, there was a whole, you know, and, and Jarvis Cocker looking like he's coming off a Paris runway. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, it was, it was an amazing time. And yeah, the, the, the print media had a lot to do with it as well. I'm sure. Yeah. They, they really seem to kind of call a lot of the shots for that much to much to Liam's chagrin, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure Liam read much of it. <laughs> no, I'm sure, but he's definitely had a lot to say about it. <laughs> mm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I was looking at um, going back to the music. The sound there's a there was a soundtrack album that was put out for this. It was a two disc soundtrack, oh. and it the it's amazing. The track okay. list is incredible. It's actually there's so many songs that are on that track list that should have been in the movie, and 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 artists that I would have loved to have seen get some. Um, some more some more time in the movie because obviously you have oasis he used the song of forever um blur pulp but then you have alaska supergrass garbage manic street preachers on it um embrace manson uh sneaker pimps robbie williams angel is on it yeah oh dub stars um, on it i can see that from here i'm on it now <laughs> oh yeah yep mm-hmm. yeah i mean echo yep. belly who i love as well yeah oh um, suede suede is mentioned in the movie yeah they were kind of the early the early tribe again absolutely i think suede suede is the link from not that they sound like the stone roses but i think mm-hmm. that's the, the 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 next part of the the next section of the path is stone roses suede yeah and i'll be honest i'm not a huge suede fan and i mm-hmm. fred anderson's <laughs> voice kind of gets on i just there's just something about it <laughs> i don't know much by them me. i just know the, the famous album yeah cover but absolutely and i mean and he was um uh his girlfriend was the singer of Elastica and there's like a whole story there okay. where she's no longer with him, but now she's with Damon from mm. blur, you know, so you end up getting this like Royal couple of Britpop with uh, <laughs> Justine Fleischman and, and Damon Auburn. Um, yeah. It's, it's uh, it. I'm looking at this. I mean, there's a lot of really good stuff on here that, yeah. Mm. I mean, the charlatans, I think that's actually yeah. kind of another, cause that's one of those Manchester bands that was kind of also another link. Um, Cause you yeah. had that kind of see blur. It's funny because blur is an earlier band. I mean, blur's first album, mm-hmm. I think is 91. Yeah. And they have that kind of typical Manchester sound at that point. Right. Right. Uh, with like, there's no other way and stuff like that. And then they kind of change for their second record. It becomes more of like, you know, instead of sounding like the happy Mondays, it sounds like, a band that's been listening to the kinks a lot. Right. right and, right. and there's nothing wrong with that. It's right. just, that's the change. And then you can see the yeah. progress and stuff. I, I honestly don't think blur get enough credit for that because I think mm-hmm. blur is actually one of the bands that, um, progress, like evolves kind right. of the most during this 
you know, time. Um, but again, th- to me, they kind of go off the rails, like with the 13 album and even maybe yeah. before that with the blur, like the blur album. And I mean, you get song two, right? Oh yeah. Song two yeah. doesn't sound like Britpop. Um, right. Song two ends up being played at football games in the States, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's very different. It's, it's, you can see the change yeah. coming at that point. If you're, if you're paying attention and, and right. I'll be honest, like I said earlier, this is hardcore was where I started to notice, you know, cause I was so involved with it that I was, I don't, I, I knew this, the sound was changing a bit, but I didn't think like this is going to be over. It's right. just, yeah. So yeah, but it's it has, of- it a really good soundtrack. It's a really good um, overview of, right. of uh, I think this would be like, if somebody said, what is Britpop? I'd say this is a great, as good a collection as any to say, you know, listen to this and the bands that, you know, grab you, pursue them. Absolutely. So. And even, there's even bands in here that I would never, that I even know were British. Like you have like the Chemical Brothers mm-hmm. and, and the Prodigy Placebo. They're all on this too. Yeah. I would absolutely. never have even. Yeah. Yeah. No Prodigy. I mean, uh, FC Prodigy is a perfect, mm. I wouldn't consider them Britpop, but they were right. s- certainly part of that. I mean, we were dancing yeah. to Firestarter at clubs yes. and, Smack you know, up. yeah, I mean, we were, we were dancing to this stuff. And that was we some knew edgy, edgy it. songs back in the day. Holy mackerel. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but it fit in with that as well. Right. right. And um, again, it was an aesthetic, but it was, it was very wide. And, but it was one of the terms they use in the film is cool Britannica, right? Yes. And yes. It was mm-hmm. like you said, it was kind of that second coming of like the British invasion. Um, obviously it was very different because it had like the fashion and the films and stuff yeah. with it as well. Um, but you know, there was, we, we, we ate it all up. Like it didn't matter. We just, yeah. we were open to it all. And yeah. uh, you know, I mean, they even, they even play a clip of Austin Powers right yeah that's right yes you know yep. in the film because they were like this cool britannica and then you know you've got a canadian guy mike myers making this <laughs> um you know but mike myers like his parents are british and he's you yeah. know they immigrated to canada and stuff so he grew up with it like me mm-hmm. and uh you know ha- has this idea for whatever a superhero who or a, like a, a a secret agent who's you know right. maybe is definitely not james bond but like <laughs> <laughs> but i think but it was love perfect to timing be. yeah but i think i i'd heard in, in stories like he had that idea long before any of this okay but yeah. again perfect timing right yeah. it just all works out so absolutely a lot of, a lot of um brit chic at the time cool britannia 100 yep. percent. i remember where i remember when we got the the uh vanity fair was it vanity fair i believe it was with uh liam and patsy patsy his wife on the cover Oh and yeah, I remember, yep. and I remember thinking, huh, <laughs> like, like you know, we had got imports of other magazines, you know, British magazines, and and yeah, but but we were pursuing them. But yeah. here comes Vanity Fair, where it's in every store, every store that sells magazines, there it is, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, like there is something to this, right? right. So yeah, it was a big deal. Absolutely, it, I would say probably as far as the '90s go. I would say grunge and Britpop are really like kind of the two big musical. Um, I don't know if I, I don't want to say genres, but maybe like the two big musical um, uh, revolutions that happened, I guess you could say. I'll put an um, asterisk beside that. I think for you and I, it were, they were. Yeah. I think 
the probably the big and and, and I'll I'll change my my spectacles here. Mm-hmm. I think as North Americans, though, I will say it was hip hop. And yeah, that's for me, true. not yeah. for me. Right. Like, I, you know, I mean, there is hip hop I like and stuff, but mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say I'm a that wasn't my love. My love was Britpop. So yeah. I know what you're saying grunge. I definitely right. think again in North America, it's funny if you if I bring up grunge with my wife, right, who was, mm-hmm. you know, who's my age. And, and, you know, I said like Nirvana and stuff. She's like, you know what? Nirvana over there were big. Right. Mm-hmm. She's like Pearl Jam and stuff weren't. Uh, so much like they they were right if you pursued it that you you got there but just household names she said but it's really funny and this is a band who hasn't come up at all and and i wouldn't even consider them Britpop. but she said like at her school when she was because she's a couple years younger than me but she said at her school when nirvana were big you were either a nirvana fan or a levelers fan now i don't know if you know the level i don't even know who that is (laughs) (laughs) there's another band to to kind of check out a great band Okay. Um, but she's like, you were a Levelers fan or you were a Nirvana fan. And then Britpop came and changed all that. Like Oasis okay. came and Blur came. And then it was, you're an Oasis fan or you're a Blur fan. You know, there were people who like right. both like me and, and like her and stuff. But yeah, it's, um, it was, I'm sure being there, especially, I mean, the one thing I'll mention, and they didn't mention this in the movie, they do mention about the Nebworth shows in 96, mm-hmm. which they kind of say this was like the realization that we're here. Britpop is the biggest thing in the world. And mm-hmm. I love the quote. He says there's um, I think it was the editor of Select. He says, we realized there that the biggest band in the world was also the best band in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for a short time that was true. Yeah. That being said, there is a stat that says something like so what happened when those two shows went on? I think there's like 100,000 people in each show. Right. Mm-hmm. But they had to, because it was such a demand for the tickets, they did a draw, right? They did a, like, so you would put your name in and then they would draw. One in six people in Britain applied for tickets. Holy. One in six. My God. So if, if there's 60 million people, that's basically 10 million people applied for tickets. Now, Jeez. like, think, when would that ever <laughs> happen here, right? There, right? Has there ever been a band or ever been a situation in North America, this was a cultural phenomenon, yeah. right? Like this was again, like the Beatles at right. just not as long as the Beatles. Cause the Beatles probably, you know, were bigger mm-hmm. for longer. Um, but at that point, yeah, like 10 million people applied. For I can't tickets. even wrap my head around that. Like mm-hmm. it's insane. Yeah. Like you'd walk down the street and go one, two, three, four, five, six, that yeah. six person applied for t- do it again. One, two, three, four, five, six. That person applied for a ticket as well. Like crazy. That's that's an, that's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. So I guess it just goes to show. But yeah, it makes I see what you're saying about the, um, you know, for us here versus them. Because, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's a different. That's one of the cultural differences I've noticed as well. Like mm-hmm. and when I live there and stuff like that, I think there's. I don't know. I think I. They're not as like they once you are a fan, you don't you know, even if something new comes along, you don't say, oh, I don't like that anymore. Right. Like <laughs> right. you're still a fan. Right. Um, I think in North America, I've, I mean, especially as a metal guy, I've always uh, it, which is funny because Britpop is kind of one of those <laughs> like I love this as much as I love all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. It's just they're not as willing to give up on something because it's not cool. They're like, right. yeah, that's 
fine. I still like it. You know, even yeah. if some, uh, some new shiny toy has come along, it's like, yeah, but I still love this. So. Right. Yeah. We're, 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 we're like, it kind of goes to our wasteful society over here. Like, Oh, one and done, mm. throw you out, move on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Britpop, like, I mean, those bands can still, especially the, you know, the bigger ones, they can still tour and do well. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, Oasis is definitely one of, they're probably one of the few bands. And unfortunately I never saw Oasis, which uh. drives me nuts. I actually went. So in 2001, I think they toured with the black crows in North America and they were oh, playing wow. in Toronto. That's an odd. Well, it was like, next. they called it like the brothers tour, right? Cause okay. the two bands makes had, sense. and jet opened. And oh, yeah, wow. and they <laughs> it's were really weird. <laughs> yeah. And I was playing uh, or sorry, uh, my wife and I and a friend of ours were we went, we were actually at the venue and it was an outdoor venue and it was chucking it down. It was mm. raining like the heavens had opened up and it oh. had no sign of stopping. And I'm like, if we don't get tickets that are sheltered, I don't want to stand in the rain. And I kick myself every oh, time I think because <laughs> I never saw them. Because he'd rather be soaking wet and have seen Oasis than yeah <laughs> yeah I've seen Liam solo and I've seen Noel solo but I've never seen them together. together. But again, wow. but my point was like that's one of those bands where if they do reunite, mm-hmm. they'll sell out Madison Square Gardens. Yeah, right. There's very For few sure. bands that will do that. I mean, when Guns and Roses re- reunited, people were like, "Oh, they're and they did. They sold out stadiums yeah, and stuff." I'm not true. saying Oasis is going to sell out stadiums, but they'll sell out Madison Square Gardens. They'll sell out um you know sheds around here mm-hmm. for sure if they did a summer yeah. tour no problem yeah people still know them they're still they still they i mean they're classics still get radio play yeah you know i mean they, they've kind of overcome a lot <laughs> a lot yeah. of ridicule and a lot of um i mean it's the the test of time and uh i i think it, it they are i think they're one of the bands from that era that did i mean there's definitely every time you look back at something right right staying alive now did people think staying alive <laughs> was great when it was out i don't know doubtful <laughs> probably doubtful <laughs> or so it sounds right. um but i think there's still people and not just myself right like not mm-hmm. just people like me who grew up with it or it was a, a time and a place i think those people are already they're already their chips are already played and they're already in yeah. but i think there's people that will hear what's the story morning glory or definitely maybe or something and go wow what's this you know yeah um but yeah it's uh and i and i had a similar reaction i remember the story this band popped in my head when i um was looking at the track list and this was kind of a notable um omission from this is i had a similar reaction to my champagne supernova reaction when i first heard bittersweet symphony by the verb all right that was a huge (laughs) smash hit at the time and that um you know the orchestral hook was immediately lodged in my brain for life <laughs> and urban hymns is, is a great record like it's yeah. mm-hmm. i'm not a huge ver fan i love I, that that album's fantastic yeah um and i and i love richard ashcroft's voice and and i think mm-hmm. that they're great i'm just it's just a band that i never really explored all that much yeah um but absolutely and they were and that bit and that song can you imagine the verve and oasis toured like one summer together oh my god that'd be nuts it would be yeah. great Yep. Not only because you got to see them, but it would do well. I think mm-hmm. people would be like, you know, even those fans who maybe have kind of fallen away, like, right. that's a good night out. Like, I'll do that, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. So I think that would be a great, great gig. Yeah. I have to point this out, though. It's funny because I don't know if we're, we're going to go this way. I'm going to just bring it up. We talked about sure. this earlier, mm-hmm. like those post-Brit pop bands, like, um, uh, which we'll call it, you know, uh, 
Coldplay and Travis and whoever. But I'll be honest, the one that really jumps out to me is, and this is a little different, but I'll tell you why, was in two in the mid-2000s, I think people started to kind of become nostalgic a little bit for it, right? So it was like 10, 11 years after the point. And, you know, uh, some of the people who were my age start having kids, right? Mm. Or maybe they were having kids at that point, and now those kids are, you know, getting a little older, whatever. And then in 2006 kind of the last gasps of the print over there, like the press, which was the enemy and stuff like that. A lot of those magazines had, had fallen like Melody Maker was out of print by this point, but I'll never forget that there was this band that they were, you know, hailing as like, this is the new coming of Britpop. And it was the Arctic monkeys. Oh yes. And, yes. Right. And uh, what, whenever people say I am, that's what I'm not. That became because definitely maybe by Oasis was the biggest selling al- debut album of all time mm. until then. Okay. And I remember kind of getting excited thinking, and I like that records. It's not yeah. one of my favorites, but I like it. Yeah. And I remember good. thinking, oh, maybe something will start here, but it, it never really did. Like, no. I think you I can't, mean, and you can't capture lightning in a bottle twice. It's too hard. Right. right? So, right. I mean, it's whenever people always say, you know, the new Beatles, the new Beatles, it's, you know, it's not, but, but I mean, like, I I like the Arctic Monkeys. They've actually gone on to become a pretty acclaimed band and they've, they've, you know, they've done a lot of, you know, pretty impressive albums and and whatnot, but. Absolutely. But I think, I think, you know, claiming it as the the new Brit pop is a bit, is is a a little bit of a stretch. Well, I think people wanted to make that comparison, not that they sound like Oasis, but it was like, okay, here's some working class lads. I think they're from Sheffield, um, you know, so and and they were just it, they were just looking for something to grab onto, Right. Yeah. Because there had been I think even by then, the kind of the Coldplay had been around, you know, those types of bands have been around for a while. Yeah. It's kind of like, OK, we need something new. Yeah. And they were fresh like that. That first Arctic Monkeys record, you know, and Franz Ferdinand, those guys. Were oh, coming yeah. Out, all that yeah. at that time. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yes, yeah, something new to cling on to. Mm-hmm didn't last unfortunately i mean those no. bands are still around and like you said they've put out great material since then but it's just right. it doesn't have the same cultural pull no. that it did and it, first and it never around. will and and i think yeah. it, it's i'll say the internet has changed that right um just the world has become smaller politics yeah. have changed oh big time uh, i think we're going to be seeing a lot of really interesting kind of like post-brexit music yeah, no, I think that's going to that's probably going to be the real big thing we're going to start to see. I'm surprised we haven't yet. But I think the big thing there is that the problem with a lot, the problem that the British bands are now going to have is it's not as easy to tour Europe because they yeah. have to pay for like different visas and stuff, which cuts <clears> into <throat> your, you know, if a lot of bands would go over and tour like places in Europe and stuff because a it was exposure, but you mm-hmm. and you weren't going to get rich or anything doing it, but it you weren't going to lose money. Right. Whereas now, you know, they, they have to pay for these visas and, and all this stuff and like, Oh, you're going into separate countries. Okay. Well, you got this. And it's like, it, we can't yeah. lose money. So, right. I, I'm, so I think when that reality sets in, you're going to start getting like, it's funny because like a, <laughs> you, you make a great point. The wild hearts have a new record coming out. Stunts in the cans coming out next month. Oh, okay. and, wow. and Ginger Wildheart, the, the leader of the band, the song main songwriter and stuff, he's like, this is an angry record. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> it, and, and yep. a lot of it is about 
Brexit. And a lot of it is about, you know, not so much COVID, but like politics. And um, so I'm, I've, there's been a couple singles released and I'm kind of like, Oh, okay. I hear that. Um, as long as it stays melodic, I'll be happy. Right. Uh, right. But yeah, I think you're right. I think there's going to be an interesting take, but I don't think it's ever really, things will connect with people like you and I are music lovers. So we will find stuff that we connect with and love, but I don't think you're going to find, uh, I don't think it's going to be a cultural phenomenon like Britpop was or grunge was or anything like that. Yeah. I, I, I tend to agree with you when you said like, like we mentioned hip hop, I I feel like hip hop is going to kind of continue. It's still kind of the wave of the future. I think if, if any kind of, phenomenon of that level happens i think that might be kind of through that lens a little bit more um yeah well hip-hop a lot of hip-hop or commercial mm -hmm. hip-hop blends into the pop genre right i don't think we hear many rock songs that blend into the pop genre very often anymore or become i mean some songs do i'm not saying they don't entirely but right i i i think you're more likely to get a hit with a a hip-hop song that crosses into the mainstream than you are a, a rock song at this point yeah that makes sense yeah for sure yeah, it's it's just it's fascinating, and um, yeah, kind of just in just like the movie as a whole. Um, I I, I really enjoy. Learned a lot. I think if I were to have like one minor criticism, um, I I, I kind of mentioned this before. It's it's a short movie, and I feel like they um like they maybe cram a little bit too much in, and and certain certain elements of it I think maybe could, could have been kind of explained a little bit more. Um, you know, sometimes it felt like they were kind of like brushing through things just to kind of just like cover as much as territory as they could. But yeah. um, but- I mean, there was a there's a whole section of like with that artist who we haven't talked about and stuff. And I'll be honest mm-hmm. with you, I thought it was unnecessary because I was like, I get the whole and I've mentioned about how there was a whole aesthetic and things with with Britpop. Yeah. And I was kind of like, I think that's a more of a regional thing, because I think if you're trying to hit a market that's outside of England, like we wouldn't have seen that stuff. Yeah. And I was kind of like, uh, I don't and, and I didn't really connect with all that 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 mm-hmm. much. Um, I will say this. So the BBC in 2007 created, I think it's eight. I think there's eight parts to it. It's called the seven ages of rock. Hmm. And the last and they were our ish uh, documentaries. And there was like the, the blue. It starts at the start. Right. And it goes mm-hmm. all the way up. And because it ends in 2007, you end up getting it goes basically to the Franz Ferdinands and the Arctic monkeys and stuff. I see. Okay. Um, But I think that that second or that last episode where it's, and it covers Britpop and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think that that would be a good companion piece with this Um, Hmm. because I think it, and, and, and I'll be honest with you. I I have the same criticism that you do. I think that they Mm -hmm. try to cram too much in or just make it half an hour longer or make yeah. it two part. Like, you know, I think right, it'd be, right. this would be one of those great things that if it was a Netflix special, it's like, Hey, it's three parts and each part's just over an hour for sure. Yeah. Great. Um, and maybe they feel like, and, and that those outlets weren't like that at the time, right. Yeah. 2004, right. whenever this was released, like, you know, Netflix didn't exist. Yeah. Um, or they Hulu had to fill whatever. it right. They had to fill it in the, the time slot that yeah. they were given. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I think now, I think this would be the perfect subject for a three part, absolutely or something but yeah the seven ages of rock and um if you and they're all great every episode okay. of those, i mean again it's a bbc mm-hmm. uh yeah i thing and i'm sure if you you know have means you'll find it online um <laughs> but yeah the last episode is a great companion piece and kind of shows you like okay where did those kids where did the kids that were listening to blur and oasis and stuff where did they go and mm-hmm. then you get 
you know, Franz Ferdinand and the Libertines and all that stuff. And, right. Right. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. So yeah, I, I definitely learned a lot. I, and I, it, it did bring back a lot of memories to hearing a lot of these songs again and just seeing, you know, the images and everything like that. And it's one of those genres, if you want to consider it a genre where if you like, and, and you, you know, you know, I, I've said this before, but if you're a music lover like yourself or myself and you love those early bands, right? Like you love the Beatles and the stones and whatever, I think that this, like, whether you were exposed to Britpop or not, like, it's not a leap. Like, it's just like, oh, yeah, they're just doing what they did. So you'll find something you like. You know, you might not like everything, but like I said on that, that is a really actually great soundtrack. And I think if you if you bought it, you know, you know, you cling on to this this band or you hear cast and you go, oh, I like the sound of that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think people who listen to the raspberries and then listen to cast go, oh, I don't like like if you love the raspberries, you'll love cast. I'll bank on it right now. Like it's that power pop awesomeness. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, there's just so much great stuff to explore. And I would love to talk to anybody. I love talking about this because it it just (laughs) makes me smile and it takes me back to a great time. So. I love it. I, I love it. Yeah. I, I have some, I have some listening to do. <laughs> I have a play. I made myself a little playlist during this. Um, and I, I uploaded the, the soundtrack on Apple music. So. Um, All right. Well, send me a copy and I will, uh, I'll tell you what to add or we'll suggest what I feel like you might be missing okay. or what you might want to check out. All right. And uh, yeah, we'll go from there. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to, to add about the movie? Anything that you had in your notes that we, that we made it jumped over or anything? No, I mean, I've, I think we nailed everything. The, the only thing that I would add would be, and I, we kind of talked about it was like the pop stuff at mm-hmm. the end. Um, and I hate to dismiss pop music, but and nineties pop music is something that I'm not a huge fan of. Like <laughs> I love eighties pop and seventies pop and sixties pop. Yeah. Nineties. I think because at that point I was becoming, you know, growing uh, into manhood and just <laughs> becoming, you know, yeah. more, um i wanted things that i connected with and i wasn't right. connecting with the spice girls right i wasn't and <laughs> right. stuff like that or you or didn't the want bands. to be their lover and you didn't I did want to get with not. their friend maybe mel c but that's <laughs> my wife's gonna hear that now <laughs> mel b as well i like the mel's um yeah you know i think but i i get it you know like yeah. when she says it's the default i get it because there was there was a lot of great pop music mm-hmm. and i'm not one to dismiss pop songs because right. i love pop songs i just mm-hmm. at that point in my life it was about i want to f- you know feel something and right. i don't feel something with a pop song i feel something with oasis because not only do they have guitars but yeah they're singing about things that i'm like i can i understand that mm-hmm. you know so yeah you know yeah absolutely it was very much of um almost like a coming of age album in a way, you know, I could, I can hear that in the songs that I do know, I can definitely get a sense of that. Well, and that's what happened with the Arctic monkeys 10 years later. Right. You, mm-hmm. I, I, I always tell this story. I have a, a good friend of mine who uh, I hope listens to this in the UK. And he told mm-hmm. me he's, he, he's a couple years younger than me. And so he was still in high school and he tells me the story about his friend came in, uh, had a Walkman and said, you've got to hear this. And it was the first, First Oasis record was definitely maybe. Mm. And my friend to this day, he's a huge Oasis fan. He's seen them a bunch of times. Shout out to Richard. He uh, he told me, he said, that day changed my life. Wow. Right then and there. Like he said, and, you know, 
it was, I can only imagine like it, it's, it's, it was just a, it was a beautiful time. Um, and I, I hate to say like, this is never going to happen again, but it hasn't happened since. Right. And I don't know if it will just because things are so different now, like yeah. with social media. And I mean, there's so much great stuff out there now and it's right. But I, I almost find because there's no curator of it, like it's sometimes you miss stuff. Like right. people will tell me things and I'll, I'll, I'll check it out and I'll go, Oh, it's great. How, do, how have I not heard about this? Right. It's just because there's so much now. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and sometimes things are over curated. Like you get these playlists on Spotify or what have mm-hmm. you, and, they're, 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 and they use their algorithms and whatnot to say, Oh, you might like this if you like this. And it's, <laughs> and things there's, it's overwhelming. It's Absolutely. hard to keep track of all of it. It it's really right. is. And especially as you get older too, right? Like I, I, right. I didn't have kids at that point and I didn't, right. I wasn't married mm-hmm. and you know, I had more time to dedicate to it. Whereas now I don't. Right. Um, so sometimes those playlists are great because I can grab something uh, or, you know, something I wouldn't have heard. Mm-hmm. But then that being said, like you said, sometimes it's, it's just like, you don't know me at Nick Nickelback. What? You don't know me at all. Like what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Mike Drew's next appearance on movies that rock Nickelback, the movie. Thank you. Is, is there a Nickelback movie? See that? I, I don't by. know. <laughs> now I got to look this up. Hold on. Hang tight, everybody. I'm oh, very gosh. curious. Cause they are, they are, I mean, they're Canadian. So Nickelback does have a live film, by the way. Oh, there you go. Big thank you to Mike Drew for coming on the show today. And a big thanks to you as well for listening. If you'd like to reach me, you can find me on Twitter at Josh F618 or at Rock Movies Pod. You can also email me at movies at rockpod at gmail.com. Also, please leave a review and or rating on Apple Music. It helps people to find the show. Thank you so much again and hope you're all doing well. Take care. 